All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump right in. I'm going to invite you to join me in your Bible uh, in the book of Galatians. That's where we have been, and we're going to uh, jump back into that this morning. And as you're doing that and you're preparing, finding your seat, getting your bulletin, opening your Bible, all that, I'm going to ask God to captivate us this morning with his love. Can I pray that for us? All right, let's do that together. Father, I do... In the, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, I ask that you, through your spirit, would captivate our hearts with how good you are, the height, the depth, the width, the breadth of your love, that we might, whatever we have come in with this morning, whatever our week has been, however we see ourselves, however we see you, God, would you open up the eyes of our hearts to see your love for us this morning? We live in, in challenging days. And you're aware of that. You're fully aware of everything that we face externally and internally. And you know our choices this week. You know our victories. You know our defeats. You know our struggles. You know our fears. You know our anger, our rejoicing. You know everything about us, and you love us. And so I I ask you, God, open up our eyes to see how deep your love for us truly is, that we might be ready to respond to your spirit this morning as he speaks to us through your word. And as one heart, one voice, we ask this together in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Thank you for doing that with me. Galatians chapter 5. I want to jump back a few verses from our text this morning to verse 16. Paul says this. He says, I want to make this abundantly clear. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. Do you see the picture there in conflict? These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Some of you will remember it's in Romans chapter 7 where Paul is, is talking to the church in Rome, and he's this, this similar idea, or he's, he's saying a little bit differently, but he says, you know, the things that I don't want to do, I find that I, I do them. Anybody? I, I, know, I know this response, I know this reaction, I know this attitude is wrong. I used to have this conversation with my kids, one particular child, number two, I'll just, I won't say her name, it's just number two, that I would say to her, I'd say, you need to change your attitude. And she would say, I'm trying, but I need time. I can't just change my attitude. And... In my mind, it was, yeah, you can. Just change your attitude. I know. She'd say, I know that how I'm behaving is wrong. I know my attitude is wrong. But ah, she just was stuck there. Paul says, I know what's right. The, 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 the Spirit is working in me, and I know what is right. And the things that I want to do to honor God, I end up not doing them. And the things that I don't want to do, the things that I know are dishonoring to God, I find myself doing them anyways. He says, I, I find that there is this, this law, there is this truth, this principle. There is something at work in me. Sin is at work in me through the flesh being exposed by the law. And that sin in me is drawing me, it's pulling me to do the things that I don't want to do. But at the same time, there is the Holy Spirit. He is also present. And then he says, man, what a wretched man I am. This, this, this struggle, this battle that's going on in, inside of me. Is there any hope? He says, yeah. 
It's through Jesus Christ, my Lord, that I'm going to be set free from this. He says there's this battle going on. And I'm telling you, Galatians, you need to walk in the Spirit so that you don't carry out the desires of the flesh. Remember, there's this conflict, there's this battle. And they're opposed to each other. And the result of this opposition is that you don't end up doing what you want. You give in to the flesh rather than living by the Spirit. But if you are led by the Spirit, if you do surrender to the Spirit so that He is calling the shots, does that make sense? He's calling the shots. It's not Kurt, it's him. Then you're no longer under the law. You're no longer held captive by the law. Now, the law is good, but remember, he's made it very clear. The law basically exposes how wretched I am. Right? That's what it does. You read through the law and you go, oh, yeah, that's me. You're no longer under the law if you choose to be led by the Spirit. You see... Paul, in, in this dissertation, in this argument, in this court case that he's making, he wants us to understand that the battle, there is a battle between the spirit and between the flesh, and it's personal. It's internal. It's inner. You with me? It's personal. That is this, this struggle that he's talking about in Romans and Galatians, and he talks about it in several other places. This battle, this struggle, is happening in here. Every day when I wake up, this battle is waiting for me. Would you agree? You know, you wake up and we have a little deck and we have a door that's open and we have a fan and the, and the birds are chirping and, the, you, know, uh, you know, and I'm making the sounds that my dad used to make, you know, and all that stuff. But besides that, this beautiful morning and the sun's coming up and the breeze is blowing in and the birds are chirping and it's like a new day and as soon as my feet, before my feet hit the ground that battle is there waiting for me as soon as my mind begins to engage as soon as my heart begins to influence the battle begins right it's personal it's something that each of us face but at the same time this battle between the spirit and the flesh is also public it's not something that we can hide or contain, keep in here. You know, as men, we have this, this practice, this, this word we use, compartmentalize. You know, you put things in their right compartments. You put, and ladies, do you do this too? You do, okay. I think men, we're just better at it, and it's not a good thing. But we got work compartmentalized over here, and so my behavior and my attitudes and my values and my principles and my words and my behavior look like this in this compartment. But then I've got my marriage, and I've got my parenting, and I've got my neighborhood, and I've got, oh yeah, there's the interaction with, with the, the server at the restaurant or the barista. The, you with me? And we make all these compartments, and we, have, and we think we got it all managed and under control so that the Kurt you see on Sunday is what, you know, I am. And then Paul, in these verses that we're looking at this morning, is going to make it abundantly clear that the battle between the spirit and the flesh is personal, it's internal, but it's also very public. Everybody knows. Now, we can get pretty good at putting on masks and putting on defenses, putting on appearances. We can. Particularly if you're only around somebody for a short amount of time. Like Sunday morning. Right? You come in, hey, we put on our best clothes, most of us, you know, or some of us, or, you know, 
Maybe we took a shower this morning, first time this week, you know, we took a shower and we, and for me, shaved, I shaved, I hate shaving, and so I only do a couple times a week when I have to, and so Sunday, I, I shaved for you guys last night so that, you know, you could, ha- you could have this. <laughs> you know, we, we put on our best in this, and then we, we can kind of handle it for a few hours, and we can get okay, we can get some really good at trying to put on this, but Paul is going to expose that and we we already know this to be true but he's going to expose it that you can't keep it just inside it comes out the battle between the flesh and the spirit as a christian and where you're at where you're at on that in that battle if you're victorious or defeated it's going to come out you tracking with me so he's going to give us some lists to help us understand this if you look with me at verse 19 in chapter 5, he says, The works of the flesh, the evidence of the flesh being in control, calling the shots, literally the expressions of the flesh, are obvious, meaning they're plain, visible, easily recognized. And here's what they are. Now, this is not an exclusive list, so I don't want to read this and some of you are like, hey, hey, I don't have any of those on that list, you know, I'm good. He, he does this in several places. They're not all listed here. But this is one of the more intense ones, if you will, of what the works of the flesh are. Here are the works of the flesh. They're obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, and carousing. And... In case I didn't mention yours this morning, Paul says, anything similar, anything that looks like, anything that aligns with these things that I've listed. And then he says, I tell you about these things in advance. And it's interesting what he does here. I tell you about these things in advance, or as I have before, as I told you before. He uses the same word twice in the Greek. We translate a little bit different in the English. In advance, as I told you before, he's, he's making a point. I, I really want you to know these things, and I want you to remember that this is not something new. I'm not throwing this in, and the argument of the law and the flesh, the flesh and the spirit, this is something we've talked about. This shouldn't be a surprise. We can't claim ignorance, or you can't, the audience. I've told you about these things in advance. I've told you before, as I told you before, that those who practice, those who perpetrate for themselves and others is the implication. Those who practice such things, these things, the works of the flesh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, the word he uses here, means the territory that is subject to the king's rule. You won't inherit, you won't live in the place where God rules. Now let me go back through these, just briefly. I, I got to tell you, as I was studying these, these words, and it's, they're, all, they're all very specific, unique words that he, he chooses. They're, none of them are common words that he uses to describe the works of the flesh. I felt, as I'm studying, I thought, man, he's talking about 2021. It's so crazy how a, 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 a revelation of God through his apostle Paul almost 2,000 years ago reads like he's describing our society today. He's describing sometimes even Christians today. Sexual immorality, it's any sexual behavior outside of God's design. What is God's design? He created them male and female and he brought them together and he created marriage. And he gave the gift of sexuality, of sex, 
and he placed it within marriage between a man and a woman, and he blessed it. We on the same page? Is it a very narrow design? Certainly is. It is. It's very narrow. There's not a lot of room for, um, you know, well, what if? And, you know, times have changed, and we've, we've, we've grown, and we've figured out, we've discovered, we know. You with me? We, we want to, we don't like narrow. We don't like the narrow path. But the sex, sexual immorality is any sexual behavior outside of God's design. The moral impurity word is simply uncleanness, and it's connected to, though, sexual sin. Anything that shouldn't be in our sexuality. Now, we're, we're good at this as human beings. When someone draws a line, we like to get as close to that line as we possibly can, right? We learn this as kids, and parents are all shaking their heads. But we're also shaking our heads because we're kids, teenagers, we're there still, okay? It just, you know, you've seen me preach. I, I could come right here. This just, I don't even want to, and that's dangerous, right? Probably safer for this old guy to be back here somewhere. You know, if that's the line, then I don't want to live. You're with me, right? It's, it's anything that is not belonging to whatever it is that is in question. In this case, our sexuality. There's any, anything there that is outside of God's design, it makes it impure. Yet yesterday, I was, I, and I'll confess, I went to a Taco Bell, and it was hot yesterday, and I really wanted something to drink. And so we, Becky and I go through the drive-thru, and I order a large Pepsi. Judge me if you will, but I ordered a large Pepsi. And I take a big drink of it, and it's diet. And my mouth, my stomach is tightening up. I just, I struggle with any artificial sweeteners, and so I don't struggle with sugar, but I struggle with artificial sweeteners. And it's doing that thing in my mouth, like, ah, oh, how do I get rid of this taste? And I go, excuse me, and, he, and the guy goes, yeah. And I go, this is a diet. And he goes, oh, I swear, I got another Pepsi. And I go, it's diet. So he fills up, and I watch him, and he, he puts it in the Pepsi, gives it back to me, and so I, and my wife's like, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave until you got it right. And I was like, honey, there's cars behind us, come on. Anybody have that kind of moment in the, okay, spouses. And we pull around the corner, and I take a big old slug of it, and it's diet. And I come, and I pull over, and I walk back in there, and, and all the workers come up, and I go, this is diet. And so they begin this long dialogue about, well, who changed the tanks? I think they're switched. And, who, and they go through this whole thing, and finally this young lady goes, I think I did. I'm sorry. I don't know how to do it. And I put the diet on. Okay. So I got a Dr. Pepper, and I left. And as I'm driving away, because I didn't trust them, as I'm driving away, I thought, you know, there's water, there's carbonation, there's... There's just one little thing that's off, and it's impure, I can't, I can't, right? And I'm, and I'm going to stop my life and go make it right because that little bit. The, the picture here is, is that it's anything that we might label as insignificant, but from God's perspective, it makes it impure. You with me? So what is that, what is that, how does that play out? It means if I look at something on my computer or on my phone or I watch something on TV that is outside of God's design, I'm just looking at it. Just a little thing, right? Right, guys? Is that moral impurity? It is in God's eyes. And let's identify it. It is an expression, a work of my sinful flesh. Paul wants to make sure that we can't spin our behavior and say, well, it's not that bad. No, it's the, it's the work of the flesh, moral impurity, promiscuity. This is out of control. This is unbridled excess behavior, lacking any kind of restraint. Idolatry, 
Worshiping anything that is not God. It can be a person, it can be a thing, it can be a behavior, it can be a feeling. You with me? We can make just about anything an idol. Sorcery. In the Greek, this is pharmakeia. That sound like anything to you? Sounds like what? Pharmacy, yeah. This word is interesting. It's the use of drugs or some kind of, you know, influence connected to worshiping something that is not God. It's any kind of, of, of substance that Paul says in Corinthians, don't be under the influence of anything except for the Holy Spirit. So this work of the flesh is when I look to something else besides the Holy Spirit to give me what I need, what I think I need. Hatred, it's just, it's to have it out for somebody. It's entity, uh, um, en, enmity, thank you. It's another one of my hard words to say. I just got it out. I got, I got a, a, I hesitate to start using phrases because I don't always know what they mean. But you know, you get something stuck in your craw. I think that's connected to a chicken, isn't it? Those of you, okay, good. I have all these things in my head that I've been given from my grandparents and my parents and nine out of 10, like, okay. Clear as mud. My grandfather used to say clear as mud. He's with Jesus, I'll ask him when I get to heaven. Enmity, having it out for somebody, strife is just simply contention, conflict, discord, jealousy, resentment of others, discontent with my own situation, outburst of anger, intent, this is intense anger, we might call it fury or rage, boiling over and then it just comes out, selfish ambitions, <laughs> this, is, this is a word that was used to describe, sorry, politicians, those who desire to promote themselves or put themselves forward with a hint of rivalry against their opponents. But can that happen within the family of God, within relationships and our family? It can. Dissensions, division, discord. People of different opinions coming together, which is connected to the next word, factions, which is heresis in the Greek. We get the word heresies from it that cause division and dividing people into groups. Over here and over here. This is how we do it in 2021, right? We call it the left and we call it the right. And that's political, but doesn't that come into the church? Yeah, it does. It shouldn't, but it does. Envy. It's just simply having, being in a mindset of ill will towards someone. It's kind of taken over your, your thoughts and your thinking and anytime you see that person, you want nothing but the worst for them. Drunkenness is, anybody? Drunkenness. Drunkenness, thank you. It's being intoxicated. And then carousing is unrestrained indulgence. You just don't say no to yourself. Whatever comes to mind, you just do it. Remember God describing the earth right before Noah went on to the, to the ark? He said their thoughts are just continually evil. There's no limits. There's no lines. There's no boundaries. There's no rules. Just carousing. And then Paul says anything similar that looks like that. What, what's, what's his point? Why does he give us this, this list? Because he wants us to understand that this battle between the flesh and the spirit is that it's personal, it's internal, but it's also public. All those things, if they find a home in me, in my thoughts and in my inner life, if I'm saying yes to the flesh, you, everybody's going to know. It's going to come out with me? Yeah. And, I, and I ask you to be with me because we're, we're, 
I said earlier, we're all maybe better or worse or whatever at putting on how I want you to see me or what I want you to think of me. My image, my, as, a, as a pastor, as a, as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a child of God, I, I want you to see me in a certain light. And I can kind of fool you a little bit. But the Word of God is clear. Eventually, everybody knows the life that I'm living. He wants us to understand that it's private and that it's public. And here's, here's how I want you to, to take, just a thought to take away from this first half of the text. He, he's helping us understand that living in the Spirit is a life of harmony. It's a life of harmony. It's a life of agreement. That is, the internal and the external agree. See, here's, here's the stress of this battle. If we're choosing the flesh internally and we're, we're not consistently living in the spirit, we got this going on inside of us, but we're still trying to, to present ourselves to everybody else like we're living in the spirit. We're Christians. I'm a Christian. I'm in church. I got a Bible. I got a good size Bible because it's large print. You know, I got, I mean, come on. And there's this conflict, there's this, this stress, this disunity, this disharmony in what I'm portraying and claiming and saying and what I'm choosing and how I'm living in here. And at some point, everybody knows, at some point it comes out. But Paul says, no, what God intends, you, you've, you've been set free from the law, you've been crucified with Christ, the Holy Spirit's moved in, you still have the flesh, there's still this battle, but you choose to walk this way or that way. And what God intends is that living in the Spirit would be a life of harmony. I'm at peace. What was Jesus' beef with the Pharisees? The only group that he really kind of went after, didn't he? Righteously, but he went, you know, he was really fret. What was his beef? Hypocrisy. You say one thing, you do another. You present one thing, you're, you're like, a, you're like a, a, a tomb. And we make the outside all beautiful with marble or white paint and we make it all pretty. But what's going on inside? He says, that's what you're like. You clean the outside, but not. There was no harmony in, in a life of hypocrisy. And Paul wants us to understand as the, as, the, as the church, as children of God, that God's intent, the Spirit's role in our lives, is that we would live a life of harmony. Not this, this trying to impress people and what this and that. This is, you know, the reality is I'm a sinful man. Paul already, we already talked about it. Paul makes it clear in, in Romans 7. This life of harmony is not the idea that, you know, I got it all figured out and yeah, I'm, I'm great. No, he says, I'm not doing the things, and, uh, right? But, he, but it's real and it's honest. And at the end of the day, I submit to the Spirit. I choose to walk in the Spirit and there's harmony. You see humility. You see confession. You see reconciliation. You see repentance coming out of me. You with me? I don't want anybody to, to, to misunderstand and say, well, the, the message this morning is about, you know, striving to be, you know, that your image is what it should be. No, 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 no. It's internal and it's also public and we need to grasp that. And we need to hold on to his truth that living in the spirit is a life of harmony. Living in the spirit is a, is a life of victory over the flesh. Are we going to have stumbles and falls? Again, Romans 7 is very clear. We are, all of us. But it's a life of victory when the outside and the inside are in harmony. He says, he said, we read it already this morning, verse 16, I say then walk in the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. What is the key to this life of harmony? 
It's walking in the Spirit. It's choosing to give in to the Spirit. It's acknowledging that the things we just looked at, that's me. Can you say that out? out and, and Maybe not. Well, you can say it now. It'll be, sound a little chaotic. That's okay. But can you say with me out loud that these horrible things listed here, that's me. That's me. That is me. That is my flesh. That's what I, in, in, the, in the quietness of my, myself, that's what I'm drawn to in my flesh. Did somebody say that's my wife? Is that why you got punched? Okay, don't do that. <laughs> this is me, and it's acknowledging that, and then choosing to walk by the Spirit so that I don't carry out the desires of my flesh. He say, he'll say, and we'll look at this in a couple of weeks in chapter 6, he says, don't be deceived, God is not fooled. Whatever a man sows, whatever we choose, the flesh or the Spirit, we will also reap because the one who sows to the flesh will reap corruption from the flesh, the works of the flesh and all that comes with it. But the one who sows to the Spirit, the one who walks in the Spirit, will reap eternal life from the Spirit. When does eternal life begin for a child of God? Now. The moment he moves in and this new cre- the new creation in me is eternal. My soul has been recreated I still have this flesh that I'm battling, but my eternal life has already begun. God's already moved in. The Spirit is here, and I'm communing with Him. That life has begun. It'll take a whole different look, take on a new look when the flesh is gone. But eternal life begins when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God indwells us as God promised, and we reap eternal life. Okay, so Paul's made a pretty strong picture, painted a pretty strong picture of choosing the flesh. What does it look like? What does it look like if we choose to walk in the Spirit? You with me still? Okay. Chapter 5, verse 22. But, in contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. Here's, we, we could spend a week on each of these. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to read you a verse, and I think they'll be on the, they'll be on the screen, at least the, the reference. I want to read you a verse that describes each of these fruit, starting with love. John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, Jesus is speaking, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. How do you define love? You look at the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, yes. You look at the Father and how he loves Jesus and how Jesus has loved us. Self, uh, joy, excuse me, joy. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. He is the source, he is the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and is set down at the right hand of God's throne. Did you catch there how Jesus describes joy? Do you see it? How does Jesus describe joy? It's you. It's it's life with you. It's intimacy with you. For the joy, us, that lie before him, the, the possibility, the reality of reconciliation with his creation, he endured the cross. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Peace. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God our Lord Jesus Christ. That's peace, guys, to be right with God. 
to know that my accounts have been settled with him because of what Christ has done for me. Patience. Patience. Paul is speaking to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, verse 6. But I received mercy for this reason, Paul is speaking. I received mercy for this reason so that in time, the worst of them, Christ Jesus, might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. How does this verse describe patience? It's God's perspective looking down on us and our sin and saying, a little longer, a little longer, a little longer. You with me? It's, Paul talks about it in Romans. What if, what if nothing's happening yet? What if the events that we anticipate happening, whatever we believe, the order, whatever, that, that, that the day of the Lord when these things unfold, what if, it, what if they haven't happened because God is being patient with us? Maybe the exact opposite of us looking at our world or our kids or our spouse or our neighbor, whoever it might be, person living across the street. Ah, when is God going to do something? God describes patience as him looking at us and saying, oh, you're breaking my heart, but just a little longer, a few more. Won't the Father tell Jesus when it's time? Okay, it's time. Patience, fruit of the Spirit. Kindness, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. Together with Christ Jesus, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavenlies so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us. How does this verse describe the fruit of kindness? It's God's loving kindness, the chesed of the old, of the, of, in Hebrew, his goodness, his loving kindness that he pours out on us through the work of Jesus Christ. You get it? Kindness is not just being nice, is it? Not according to God. Immeasurable riches of his grace shown to us through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Everything that you have because of Jesus Christ is God's kindness. Goodness. We always pray for you, 2 Thessalonians 1, we always pray for you that our God will consider you worthy of his calling and his will. By his power, that he would fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you. The fruit of the spirit of goodness is God's, it's his character, it's its nature, it's everything that he is, poured out into us so that it would flow out of us when the spirit is in control. Faith or faithfulness. I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, because it's God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in God, if, for in it, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You realize that's a fruit of the Spirit, the faith that God has stirred in you and is working in you each and every day, not just to trust in Jesus and embrace Him as your Lord and Savior, but to live each day, live that faith out. That's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Gentleness. 
Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, someone is in sin, you who are spiritual should restore someone. You go up to that person and you begin a process of helping bringing them back and you do it with a gentle spirit. Well, define gentle spirit, Paul. Watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Do you see what gentleness is? It's, it's boldness to go to someone and say, hey, I'm concerned, and you're going the wrong direction, and, and I'm going to risk whatever, you hating me, rejecting me, whatever, and I'm going to invest the time and energy to, co- to bring you back, but I recognize that there's no difference between us, and I could be in your shoes and you could be in mine. I'm not better than you. I don't know more than you. I'm not more important than you. I just want to see you experience God's blessing in your life. So let's walk together back to where his will is. You with me? That's gentleness. And then finally, self-control. Self-control. Make every effort, Peter says, to supplement your faith with goodness and goodness with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. Self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. 2 Timothy 1.7, we've not been given the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and Self-control, sound judgment. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Against such things, Paul continues in Galatians, against such things there is no law. Literally, there is the, the law we've been talking about, even the law of Christ, there's no law that limits these things or pushes back or is in conflict with these things. We could flip it around and say it positively. These things fulfill the law. These things bring about the fulfillment. Now these, those who belong to Jesus, belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, boastful, eager for our own glory, or provoking one another. Conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Here, let me just give you this thought that for me summarizes this part of, of his text, his, his letter, is that living in the Spirit is a life of abundance. It's a life of fruitfulness. God chooses this metaphor. He says, the, he doesn't say the results of the Spirit, the production of the Spirit, in a lot of words it would fit. He says the fruit of the Spirit. Do you understand what fruit is? We do, don't we? Sharon came over to our house the other day, and I don't know if she knows this, but she always brings apples. I don't know what apples they are, what species, but they're amazing. And she left a little baggie of sliced apples. They're gone. They were delicious. I walk into my backyard, and and I have immature fruit. I have peaches. I have nectarines. I have two pomegranates. I had one last year. And I got something over here. I can't remember what it is, and I have an apple tree. An orange and 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 a lemon tree. Now, right now, I really can't eat any of them because they're no good. They're not mature. The Holy Spirit lives in us to bring fruit to maturity so that it can be enjoyed. Who enjoys the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Who? I do, but really, it's... Yeah. Do you want to be around me if I'm giving in to the works of the flesh? Do you, want to, do you want to be friends with that kind of a man? I hope not. I mean, be my friend, pull me back. Do you want to be around me if the Spirit is producing love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, self-control? Yeah, you do. I'm telling you, you do. And I want to be around you if that's what the Spirit is producing in you. 
This life in the Spirit is a life of abundance. It's, it's, it's a struggle, it's a battle between the flesh and the Spirit, but the intent of the Spirit in dwelling us is that He would produce these things in us. And so Paul is pleading with us. He's saying, don't give in to the flesh, choose a life of walking with the Spirit, because the consequences are He's going to produce this in you, and yes, we will enjoy it, but everybody knows it's going to come out and it's going to benefit everybody around you. you. We don't have time, and I hope you will consider doing this this week. You take the list of the works of the flesh and just write them on a piece of paper and then just imagine, look at them and say, okay, what, how would that impact the people in my life if that's what I'm choosing? What does that look like in my marriage? What does that look like in my parenting, my grandparenting? What does that look like in my employment and in my neighborhood if that's what's coming out of me? You with me? Then do the same with the fruit of the Spirit, and you write it down, and you meditate on it, you look at it, and you understand these verses, and you say, okay, what does that look like in my marriage? What does it do to my marriage for Becky if I am being filled with the fruit of the Spirit? You see, it's very practical. It's very real. And Paul is pleading with us to choose a life of abundance. Let me go back as we, as we conclude this morning. Back to Galatians chapter 2. This is... this this declaration of Paul has stuck with me through this whole series, and, and I'm convinced it will from this day forward, where he says, I've been crucified with Christ. Now knowing what we know, what is he talking about? He's talking about crucifying the flesh. The flesh has been crucified. It no longer has any power over me. I've crucified the flesh. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ his spirit lives in me. In the life that I now live in this body, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So that now his spirit is in me and I have the freedom to choose which I'm going to choose. Before Jesus, I didn't have a choice, did I? The works of the flesh are all that I, that I knew, and I'm grappling with them, when to let them out, when not to, what's good for me, what's not, what do I, how do I get what I want? These are the, the works of my flesh. That's all I have. The Spirit moves in, and now I have freedom. I no longer have to be a slave to the flesh. I can choose the Spirit of God. I can be characterized. I can produce. He can produce in me love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I've been set free. I've been crucified in Christ. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in Jesus who loves me and gave himself for me. So that the Spirit of God, as he promised in John 15, would come and take up residence in this flesh. And I can walk in the Spirit. And everybody knows. You with me? Are you with me? There's some questions in your bulletin. I want to encourage you to consider those, maybe in your home groups this week, if you're in a home group, or in your own devotions, your own time with God. Where do we see the works of the flesh showing up in my life? How will I know when I'm walking in the Spirit? Why is it critical to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires? And what does this look like in the body of Christ, in the family of God?